0: Welcome back to So Money, everyone. Happy Friday. Hope you are on the road going somewhere fun or looking forward to your weekend. As you may or may not know, I have decided to dedicate Fridays to airing oldies but goodies from the So Money archives. You know, it's the summer. I need a break. Y'all need to play a little catch-up too on the podcast because we are daily and it is intense. And some of you have written in saying, slow down, slow down. So this is my uh, attempt to... To respond to listeners wanting to slow down a little bit. But also Fridays, I've noticed, uh, downloads aren't as hot. And I, that's understandable. Fridays are, you know, you're looking forward to the weekend. Your routine might be a little different. So in honor of all of that, I wanted to uh, dedicate Fridays, in the summer at least, to airing some reruns. Today we're going to re-air Jack Canfield. Let me talk a little about Jack Canfield. Now, I bet most of you, if not all of you, have heard or read the Chicken Soup for the Soul series, right? The book has sold almost half a billion copies, more than half a billion copies in print since it was first published in the early 1990s. And if you watched Oprah ever growing up, you know this book because she hailed this book on countless episodes Maybe you've also read The Success Principles, first published a decade ago. And today's guest, Jack Canfield, is the author, the man, and the motivational speaker behind all of those wildly successful books. He joined us on the podcast in early spring to talk about the 10 year anniversary of the Success Principles. And this uh this conversation is really evergreen. Whether you listened to it already several months ago or you're just listening to it now for the first time, if you're deciding to wait to listen to it in a year, it will still be relevant. It is an absolute classic. A little bit more about Jack. He was born in Fort Worth, Texas in 1944. Interestingly enough, today I'm headed to Fort Worth for the podcast movement, um, so just a quinky-dink there, but he spent his formative teen years in West Virginia. He later attended Harvard, and he began his career in 1967 as a high school teacher in Chicago, and from there, built his career into the blockbuster brand and business that it is today. He is today the founder and CEO of the Canfield Training Group and founder of the Foundation for Self-Esteem. He holds a Guinness Book World Record for having seven books on the New York Times bestseller list at the same time. Yeah. Several takeaways from our conversation with Jack Canfield, how he lost $8 million at one point, entered a bit of depression, some anger, ultimately rebounded. How did he do it? One of Jack's success principles that he believes paves the way towards financial freedom, and he calls it give more to get more, and the right way to focus on wealth to become wealthy. As Jack says, you get what you focus on. Here we go. Without further ado, let's celebrate Jack Canfield. Jack Canfield, welcome to So Money. Such an honor to have you on the show.
1: Well, it's my pleasure to be with you. Thanks for having me.
0: Congratulations. The 10th anniversary of the Success Principles. And I should tell listeners that uh, there are 100 pages of additional material, a whole new section uh, offering guidance to success in the digital age. It's a tremendous book and no doubt went on to sell, you know, countless copies when it originally published. One of my favorite aspects of the book, Jack, is how you touch on personal financial success, which is really what this show is all about. So I would love to start by asking you a personal question. You know, the book is, is filled with Uh, numerous principles, many of them which apply to building wealth and achieving financial greatness. In your personal life though, Jack, what would you say is the number one principle (laughs) that helps to guide your financial decision making?
1: I would say that basically I, I value what I provide people more than the money I make. So I've always been a believer if you create more value you'll make more money. And so for me, I I mean, I do, I I put away 20% of all my income into growth in terms of stocks and bonds and real estate and so forth and so on. I learned that early on from my mentor, W. Clement Stone, who told me, he had me read a a book um, and it just basically said that you've got to put away 10 to 20% of your income. And so I've been doing that since I was in my 20s. So as far as protecting my wealth and building my wealth, I do that. And the other thing I do is I, I, truly believe in reinvesting in yourself as well so I put a lot of my money into my own company in the beginning and and grew that um, but I think that you know I just believe that, that anything's possible and I've never I mean I remember when we, we were uh, you know writing the chicken soup for the soul books. And we had uh, literally no money to pay the toner bill for our, <laughs> our, our Xerox machine. And we needed it because we were reprinting copies of the book to send out to publishers. And we would just get on the phone and we were so convinced that we were going to make a lot of money that we were able to convince other people of that. So I've always been very optimistic and believe you should act as if you already are wealthy. And then that vibration will attract wealth to you.
0: As you say in your book, you get what you focus on. But I'd like to play a little bit of devil's advocate there because I think sure. in society, you know, I, I, there, I'm not of this belief, but there are many who believe that when you focus too much on money, right, too much on earning and this goal of becoming wealthy, that it implies that you're greedy, that you care too much about money and, and not enough about people, is this just a limiting belief, as you talk about in your book? And and if so, how do you get over that? How do you make peace with that?
1: Well, it comes up quite often with my students, you know, who feel that if you're into money, it means you're greedy, or money's not spiritual, or any of those kind of things. And you know, I, I I've made tens of millions of dollars in my life, you know, close to 100 million. And the reality is I can do a lot more good in the world than someone is making $50,000 a year. You know, I've built schools in Africa. We've drilled wells in Africa. I have supported microloans to people all around the world. I've given $100,000 to the Pachamama Alliance that allows us to sustain our ecological, you know, balance in the world by working in the rainforest and protecting it from oil drilling. Those are things you can't do if you don't have money. I am very generous with my staff. We have a 15% profit share. One year, my my receptionist made $70,000 in bonus money. So the reality is that when you have money, you can do good things. I always say money amplifies what you already are. So if you're a greedy, control-oriented person, you're going to have a lot more money to be greedy and controlling with. If you're a generous, loving, kind person, you're going to have a lot more money to be loving and kind with. So I don't think money corrupts you. I think it just expands what you already are. Mm-hmm. And I grew up in a family that... Uh, practiced, you know, generosity, and we tithe to our church, and so on and so forth. So, I think money is just energy, just like a, you know, they always say. Guns don't shoot people; people do. Uh, Money is mm-hmm. just energy. It's like electricity. You can take that electricity; you can kill someone on an electric chair, or you can take that same electricity and make the most beautiful light show, or you can create laser therapy and and heal you know people that have uh, cataracts in their eyes. So it really depends on what you do with it. It it does. It has no control over you. You have control over it.
0: And. Uh- you yourself I, I like to ask guests sometimes to go down memory lane a little bit and 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 share with us how they became the financial minds that they are today how they inherited uh certain mindsets and philosophies and decision making around money i was listening to your podcast earlier today on james altucher's podcast i should say your interview with him and you 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 went down memory lane to kind of a Um, a more challenging part of your life. You know, you recalled when you were going through personal hard times, recently divorced, uh, wife got $8 million in cash. And you said that you went through a little bit of a depression. Um, You were angry. You were upset. You were wearing your shirts three days in a row because you couldn't afford the dry cleaning. And so please take us back to that moment just to share with us how you overcame that episode in your life and, um, and, 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 And what was the lesson learned?
1: Well, I got divorced about 17 years ago and uh, basically what happened was I was very upset by the whole thing because my wife got a really good lawyer and I had done a number of things to make it fair. I'd bought her a house. It was supposed to go against the settlement, but because I didn't have anything in writing, it was considered a gift and not part of our, our our mutual estate. There were a lot of things that were very upsetting to me and very angering to me. The main part was my business was valued at the same amount of money as all of our equity. And so basically she got all the cash, the bonds, the stocks, the property and stuff, and I got to keep my job. And at first I was really resentful about that. And then later... I mean, looking back on this is probably the best thing that ever happened to me because what happened was I was getting a little lazy. You know, when you've got about $10 million in the bank, you don't have to work that hard. You can live off the interest. And I was starting to not push myself as much as I'd done in building the Chicken Soup for the Soul franchise. And so it forced me to, uh, you know, really hunker down and get creative again. I wanted to get back to that same level of wealth, which I've done, and I wanted to do it quickly. And so I could have afforded to send my shirts to the laundry, but I didn't want to spend that money on that. So I just wore things, you know, more often than I would. And I ate less expensive food and I bought less expensive wine and, you know, whatever it was. But the key thing was I said, okay, if I've done it once, I can do it again. You know, I, I run workshops for uh, one of the workshops I, I run. You have to be a millionaire to be in it. And um, all there's two kinds of millionaires are self-made millionaires. And there's people who had inherited or got a trust fund or whatever, and you could take any of these self-made millionaires, drop them naked into any country in the world with no identity, no business connections, don't know the language. And within three to five years, they'd be millionaires again. Because once you know how to do it, you can't not know how to do it. And so as things evolve and change, you have to learn new things. Like now everything's digital and it wasn't, you know, 15 years ago. But the point is, it's a mindset. And so my mindset was, okay, you know, I'm, I'm resentful this happened. Uh, I, I need to let it go because I teach forgiveness. It took me about a month to to really let it go. And then one day I said, you know, I'm, I'm spending time being angry about something. I can't change. and I don't know if you're familiar with Byron Katie's work where she does this um, uh, beliefs work where you look at, I have a belief that that shouldn't have happened. I have a belief that my wife should have been more fair, whatever. And then the question is, is it really true? Can I absolutely know that my wife should have done this differently? Well, no, I don't sit high enough in consciousness to know. Next question is, what do I experience when I hold on to that belief? It was anger, pain, resentment, upset, you know, all of that. Who would I be without this belief? I would be someone who was happy and relaxed and getting along with my life. So I went through that process and realized I needed to let it go. And I did. And then I started working on, that's really where the success principles book idea came from. I've, I've had a successful life. I had to look back and say, what are the principles that got me to where I am? And in the process of doing that, I said, wow, I need to share these principles with other people because they don't know these principles. I had lots of students who didn't know them. And so I started to write the book. And that book has been the, other than the secret. <laughs> yeah, that book has just taken me around the world. I've spoken now in forty seven countries, a lot of times coming, they want me to do success principles. I just came back from a trip in the Gulf where I spoke in uh, Iran. I spoke in uh, Oman, I spoke in Dubai, I spoke in uh, Kuwait, Bahrain, um, you know, all the Gulf countries. I would never have been asked to come and talk about chicken soup stories, but I was asked to teach people about how to be more successful. Um, I've spoken in, you know, Russia and so forth. So it really was a gift. And once I started looking back at the principles of believing it was possible, acting as if it's already a done deal, visualizing it, affirming it, um, you know, Having a positive expectation, uh, and just that's that's what really this book's about. It really saved my life by writing it, and it also is saved now. We sold seven hundred thousand copies in twenty-seven languages, and I get stories from all over the world about people who absolutely transformed their life. I'll just tell you one real quick, and then sure. we'll move on. But I was in I was in the Philippines in Manila. I was doing a seminar. And the night before, I did a book signing in a bookstore. And this guy named John Caleb interviewed me for a local newspaper. And it was a great interview. It was really fun. It was a great interview. I said, John, that could be the best interview I've ever had. How long have you been doing this? He said, you're my first interview. I said, get out of here. How is that possible? He said, well, I just got a job, interview successful people for the newspaper. I lost my previous job. I'm couch surfing because I, I haven't even got a first paycheck yet. And um, I said, John, how much money do you have? He said, I have $2.38. I said, is that everything? He said, that's everything I have of cash. I said, I'm going to give you $20 to buy you dinner. I bought him a copy of my book for the book, so I didn't have one of my own to give him. I said, read this book. It'll change your life. That's the last I thought I'd ever see of him. I come back two years later to Manila to do another workshop. He comes to the workshop, walks in, beautiful blue blazer with gray pants, a big gold logo on his, uh, on his uh, pocket. Nine guys behind him in polo shirts, all with the same logo, like an entourage. <laughs> and, I, and he's wearing gold Doc Martens shoes, too, which I thought was really cool. My kids didn't know him. So I said, you look like that guy that interviewed me two years ago. He said, yeah, I am. I said, you look different. He said, I am. I said, what happened? He said, you gave me your book. And I looked at it. And I said, this guy's a multimillionaire. He's really successful. He's got a great wife, a great family. He looks healthy. He looks 10 years younger than he is, et cetera. I'm going to do everything that's in this book because I want to have the life he has. Now, For one year, he did every single thing in my book. I don't know anyone who's read my book. There's 67 <laughs> principles in it. Who's done everything? He did. And now he said, "I'm. A, I made a million last year. I have a condo at the beach. I have a house in town. I've got two cars. I have a boat." I have a radio show, a TV show, and a book coming out. I'm the number one motivational speaker in the Philippines, and I get 600 to 1,000 people at every one of my workshops every week. And I went, John, amazing. And that's what's possible when you, when you, when you apply principles, just whether they're financial principles like you're teaching or whether they're total life principles, including financial principles that are in my book, The Success Principles.
0: Yeah, when you met him two years prior, you recognized something in him, right? He had it. And so, what was that? Like, what made you think this guy is on to greatness? And he he didn't even probably know it yet.
1: He didn't. I think what I noticed in him was a, a, a certain joie de vie, a, a joy of life. He was charismatic in a way that he was. He, here he was with three dollars, basically net worth. And, <laughs> excuse me. And he was fun, and he was happy, and he was. Um, you know, I mean, he was struggling. I don't think he knew what a great person he was, but he just seemed to be a guy who loved life and who, he was authentic. He was transparent. Uh, he told me the truth about himself. He wasn't putting on airs. I think that's a really important thing. He was humble uh, and he was hungry. And I think that's what uh, made mm-hmm. him stand out to me. Jeff, he reminded me. He reminded me of myself when yeah. I was that age. Yeah.
0: What does wealthy mean to you? And And how do you educate people on how to embrace wealth, and is this something that you learned as a child growing up, or is something that you um, studied and became an expert on?
1: Well, what wasn't my childhood. My dad made $8,000 a year. That's eight with three zeros. And we lived in a house, I think, that sold for $12,000 when we moved. A very little small frame house in West Virginia, you know, one of the more impoverished states of the world, at least in the United States. And um, so my dad was a very – he was a kind of poverty-conscious guy. And uh, he resented anyone who had money. Um, So it was it was not an easy uh, thing for me to overcome that resentment of wealthy people. I went I got a scholarship to go to Harvard because I was a smart. And, uh, you know, I'd, I ended up with friends like Larry Rockefeller and people like that. And I always re- I always was jealous that they had all this money and I was on scholarship. I had to work on the weekends and, and they didn't, you know, they'd take spring breaks like in, in Argentina on their ranches and I'd uh, take a spring break working somewhere to make money uh, to, you know, pay for my clothes and things. So basically I had to learn it and I was fortunate in about 1969, I took a workshop in Chicago, with a a man named W. Clement Stone, who was worth $600 million. And he had a foundation teaching people what he called achievement motivation. And it was there that I learned that money and wealth was not a four letter word. I learned that it's the power of your mind. What you believe is what you can achieve. You know, Napoleon Hill 101, if you can believe it, and if you can conceive it and believe it, you can achieve it. And so I started to practice these principles and my coach in that program because uh, I, well, I took some more seminars with them, uh, challenged me to set a goal. It was so big that I'd know it was only these principles that worked. And there I was making about $9,000 a year as a teacher. And I took this uh, course. I set a goal to make $100,000 in one year. It took me two years to get there, but I made uh, $93,237 or something like that. And I was not upset. I said, well, this stuff works. Mm-hmm. And so uh, ever since then, I've been practicing these principles of... Uh, now, what wealth means to me, to go back to your other part of your question, is I think wealth is having enough money that you don't, you never consider money an issue. And so, for someone, a poet up in New Hampshire in an A-frame, that might be fifty thousand dollars a year. But for myself, you know, my my I, I need to have thirty million dollars producing money, which produces one point eight million dollars at a six percent. Compound rate, which allows me to then pay the government their share and have a million dollar a year lifestyle without working. So that's that's what wealth is to me. Now I love to work, so I keep working. I don't know that I'll ever retire, but I don't have to. I can only do the things I want to do. Never do. I never have to do anything.
0: Earning is really important uh, to you, and it's something that you educate uh, all your students on, all your readers on, more so than obsessing over how to save which I think is a real cultural kind of – it's a paradigm, right? You have to – a lot of people in this country is obsessed with nickel and diming their budget. um, But you think it's better and perhaps even easier to
1: earn more, right? I, I do. I do. I do you know, there's a lot of things you can do. You've heard of the team, multiple streams of income, MSI. So you can have a lot of things working for you. You can have a nine to five job. You could be working in a uh, multi-level marketing network marketing company. You could have real estate working for you. I mean, you know, rich dad, poor dad have assets that are making money, not Spending money on them. And so, if you read the book, The Millionaire Next Door, a lot of these people uh, didn't buy a new car every year. That, that makes sense. We don't need a new car every year. If you start to spend money for ostentatiousness, uh, you pretty much lost the, the point of the whole thing. So, you know, Sam Walton drove a truck his whole life and uh, you know, he certainly spent money, but not, he didn't waste it. So, I think that earning money is 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 not as complicated as we think it is. There's a lot of passive ways to do it. You know, when a recession happened, for instance, there was a woman, everyone was like downsizing, not investing as much, people were getting laid off and all that. And, you know, there's always, I always write about it, find a need and fill it. Find a need and fill it. So what happened was everyone started going on eBay, selling everything they had in order to get through the recession. This lady opened up a little shop, uh, you know, in, in her home it says, bring your stuff to this uh, storefront, which she created in her house, um, and I'll ship every, anything you sell on eBay. And so she was making a lot of money just basically charging people for wrapping and, you know, bubble wrapping and shipping UPS and whatever, figuring out all that that they didn't want to know or, or didn't know how to do. Another person uh, saw that all the people that were getting thrown out of their homes uh, basically were trashing those homes, uh, you know, because they were so angry about, you know, their mortgage nut working anymore and we couldn't pay the mortgage. So she calls the banks who are having trouble selling these properties because the banks are not into refurbishing properties. She says, I will st- I'm starting a cleaning service. If you get your house trashed, I will come and clean it up. I'll work with carpenters that can fix things if they took all the cabinets off the walls, whatever. She ended up having 12 employees. So the reality is there's always a way to make money. I don't care where you are. It's, money is made by ideas and then acting on those ideas.
0: Prior to Chicken Soup for the Soul, prior to the success principles, Jack Canfield is trying to, you know, build his wealth, make his career, build his brand, his business. And along the way, I presume you might have made a few missteps, financial missteps, as we all do as we're starting out. I ask this of all my guests because I think it's, it's very revealing. Um, what was your biggest financial failure and how did you overcome it?
1: You know, I think most of my financial failures came when I tried to do something that wasn't aligned with my purpose. My purpose is to inspire and empower people to live their highest vision in a context of love and joy. So whenever I was working on that, whether it was writing books, developing audio programs, running seminars, doing coaching programs, I was always making money. I was on purpose. Whenever I would delve off into, hey Jack, there's this really cool idea. We can make a lot of money really quick doing this. I got involved in some multi-level marketing companies. Didn't realize how much work it was, and lost money because I bought a lot of product. You know, there was a term called garage qualified. <laughs> you had all these products in your garage, and you didn't okay. have any people to sell them to. Uh, today on the internet, you know, it's all dropship and stuff, so it's not a big a deal. But the other thing was we we decided to uh, create a portal, kind of like AOL. And uh, which would be a human potential portal. We had no business doing that. We didn't know enough about it. Uh, AOL was like cleaning up everywhere. For for years, AOL was putting free uh, uh, CDs and DVDs inside of magazines just to build their, their base. We didn't have the money to kind of do that. We lost $30,000. I did another thing where we invested $300,000 in an infomercial. Uh, didn't know that business well enough to be playing. And uh, so, you know, it, I've made some big investments that didn't work out. I've invested in companies I never should have invested in because I didn't know them. You know, um, the, the, the richest people in the world will tell you, don't invest in businesses that you don't fully understand. And I didn't do the due diligence I should have done. So lots of fifty dollars and $100,000 investments that turned into nothing. So I don't do that anymore. Yeah. I actually have one guy who manages my money with me. And he knows X. Times more than I do. He used to work uh, at Deutsche Bank and is an extremely brilliant guy. So I let him do what he knows how to do. He runs everything by me, and I usually say, "Well, what would you do if it was your money?" And he tells me, and I say, "Do that," and we've had a great run. So it's like, don't try to be an expert in areas you're not experts in. Use the experts. Um, you know, educate yourself. I've read all these books on money, including Tony Robbins' new book on money. Yes. Uh, so mm-hmm. I want to know what's going on. But I can't spend eight hours a day studying it like my friend Kelly can.
0: I think that's so true. And so many of my listeners are curious about working with a financial advisor or working with a business partner or getting an accountant. And they're not sure if it's worth the investment Um, because, yeah, it's technically stuff that you could figure out on your own if you had the time. but. Often you don't have the time, right? And you don't know all the answers.
1: It's true. I mean, if you're someone who has all day long and you want to sit there and, you know, be on one of these programs that allows you to watch the green arrows and the red arrows going up and down and tells you when to buy and sell and you want to trade and you can be currency trader or whatever. I have friends who are currency traders and make a lot of money, but they're doing it eight hours a day. Doesn't interest me the least. You know, I definitely know enough about not being stupid anymore, I know a lot about the stock market. I know a lot about bonds. I know how to balance things, uh, all of that, and I—I I know I get good stock tips. I bought Apple at a really good price. My advisor didn't want me to. I said I'm going to overrule you on this one. I said, I've been in an Apple store in San Francisco three days in a row. You couldn't get in the store. I said, that's like Starbucks when there's always a line invest. And so I did and, you know, tripled my money and they stock split it now and they are paying it, you know, dividends out and so forth. But generally, uh, you know, you go with people, you know, and, and, and ideas, you know, and businesses, you know, and, um, don't get into things you don't. And I think, I, I teach that success is a team sport. It's one of the chapters in the success principles. Success is a team sport. And you need to surround yourself with a team of experts, bankers, accountants, investment advisors, you know, people that know what they're doing and then work with them on a regular basis. And it has to be a consistent touch point. Like I touch in with this guy every month for a half day meeting. And probably he calls me every other week with some information or a decision I need to make. But you want to not pay attention. My friend Matt Weinstein, who runs a company called Playfair, uh, invested with uh, Bernie Madoff, and literally he, his wife is a, a, also an author, and um, she has all these books on relationships have done very, very well. They had millions of dollars with Bernie Madoff, and when that happened, they lost everything. I mean, everything. He was down in Antarctica on a on a cruise to see the penguins, and they called him on the ship and said, "This is what happened." His wife told him, and he said, well, we better get off this call because it's costing us $20 a minute. I mean, that's how broke they were at that point. Oh my gosh. Now, they have built back because she's written two bestsellers since then. He's expanded his company. Uh, but, you know, imagine losing like $13 million and not, I mean, literally never seeing it again. So that's, that's – um, he wasn't paying attention, you know. And um, they always say when it seems too good to be true, it usually is. Right. So you you got to monitor that which you are responsible for.
0: I was going to ask you about habits, but it sounds like you really just dove into that for me. Your habit is being in touch consistently with advisors and team members that can help you make the best decisions.
1: Yeah. And I also have have an accountant in my company that also is my personal accountant. So I get, monthly reports of how I'm doing, if I'm overspending in my categories of very clean budgets. And um, every once in a while I have to say to my wife, we bought enough clothes. You need to wait for two <laughs> months, you know? And she, 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 Do you she, really? she- Do you really have to say that? I really say that oh. because we, because, you know, we have a budget for art, for furniture, for travel, for our children, uh, gifts that we give to philanthropy. We give away a lot of money to great causes. And, um, you know, so it, it's just, she, we, it's, not, it's not a small budget. But the point is, I'm not in the position where I can just do anything I want because I want to do it. I think you have to be more conscious than that. Otherwise, all of a sudden, you bought – I was in Maui a couple uh, weeks ago at a conference that I put on every year for the Transformational Leadership Council. And one of my friends bought a $70,000 piece of art that Anthony Hopkins, the actor – Painted, And um, I would have loved to have bought a piece of art right then, but we had uh, already spent our art budget for the year. So it's like I like to live within a certain level of of, – I call it sanity. So you don't just go down the road and spend money because I have a lifelong plan of what I want to do with my money and how it's going to be divvied up when I die and so on and so forth. And I'm very conscious about it.
0: You said it. I think consciousness is key. Whether you're making fifty thousand dollars a year or five hundred million dollars a year, there has to be a level of consciousness, as you say, to keep sane. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. People think they'll win the lottery, and then you know they can make any financial decisions they want. They can spend like there's, uh, you know, like there's no tomorrow. But uh, oh, then we know what happens to their <laughs> to their winnings.
1: Well, yeah. Absolutely. You, you study this and you know that almost 90% of all lottery winners are bankrupt within a, not bankrupt, but they're, they've spent all the money sure. within a couple of years and they bought their mother a house. They bought a, you know, Mercedes Benz, whatever, and they never invested it. They didn't think about, you know, can this money make money? That's really where mm-hmm. you want your money doing for you.
0: So we started this conversation, Jack, you, you, you talked about uh, being generous, being a giver as one of the, the, the tenets that you uphold in your trying to achieve wealth and teaching wealth to others. So I'd like to end on a question about giving as well. In your book, you talk about the importance of tithing. And for those of us who may not have a lot to give, we can give in other ways, right? There's time, there's experience.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. I tithe my time as well as my money. I do 10 free workshops a year for nonprofit organizations. And my normal speaking fee is 30000 a day in the United States and $75,000 a day if I leave the country. And I give away, you know, probably about $300,000 worth of uh, my time. And I do it because it's easy to give, it's easy to write a check, assuming you have it. Uh, It's more of a commitment to show up and to share your expertise, to get down and dirty with the local people that are dealing with gangs or dealing with the homeless or whatever it might be. And I find that that's really fulfilling for me to be with people that have less. And all these books are now being written about happiness. And my experience is that I'm happiest when I'm serving when I'm giving something away, when I'm helping someone who can't help themselves at some point. Now, I'm not into... Um, you know, making people dependent. I'm into empowering people. But there are many, many people, you know, who've been in car crashes, who husbands have left them and they're homeless on the street, who don't have the skills they need at this point. So we support a lot of education groups. And, um, you know, my wife volunteers. She does, she goes into prisons and runs prison uh, programs called uh, Alternatives to Violence. And she works with these people. They love her and they love the program because nobody goes to the prisons. These people are so lonely for anyone who cares because the guards often are more cruel than they are helpful and so she does that work she's also a hospice worker she works with people who are dying um you know so she comes home from these things like for two days she's so pumped she's so up you know, because of what she was able to help people do. So yes, we can give away our time. We can give away our expertise. We donated almost a, a million books to people in prison. Uh, we won this big award, uh, which you know, came with thousands of dollars and we didn't need the money. So we challenged our publisher to sell us books at, at the printing costs and then to match the number of books we were giving out. And then once we started doing that, uh, we actually promoted it and people started sending us checks to do more of it. Wow. So. Every county jail and every prison in America has a chicken soup library in it.
0: I love that. I love that so much. Jack Canfield, thank you so much. The book, everyone, it's the 10th anniversary of the success principles, how to get from where you are to where you want to be. And Jack, thanks for being with us today.
1: My pleasure. Can I make a quick offer to your your, your yes, listeners? Yes, please. If you go to the the dot com or the success dot com you can buy the book through that portal into amazon.com or barnesandnoble.com. dot com but what you'll get in addition are five bonuses it's a, a hour long video of me teaching about living by design instead of by default an hour uh, audio you can download which answers all the questions that are most asked about the principles in the book a daily disciplines for success poster the first two chapters of the book you can download them immediately so you don't have to wait for amazon to send you the book and an instant income business planner that's written by my uh, partner janice weiser who wrote a book called instant income and so uh Nice bonuses worth over $100 if you would buy the book through there instead of just going directly to Amazon or your local bookstore.
0: Fantastic. Okay, we will do that. And I will put that on the website at somoneypodcast.com so everyone can reference it and make sure to get these goodies. (laughs) Thank you so much, Jack Canfield. Have a great year.
1: Oh, thank you for this. I appreciate the opportunity.
0: Thanks so much to my guest, Jack Canfield. If you'd like to learn more about Jack, head to thesuccessprinciples.com. He's also on Twitter at Jack Canfield. And if you'd like to get the transcript from this interview, just go over to somoneypodcast.com. We've got you covered. And while you're there, click on Ask Farnoosh, and you can ask me a question. About work, money, life, career, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I'm here for you. Saturdays and Sundays, I answer your questions. And at the top of every show on Saturday, I pick one new iTunes reviewer to receive a free 15-minute money session with me. So, if you are interested in connecting with me one-on-one for a full 15 minutes, uh, leave a review. and Hopefully, we will connect. Have a great weekend, everyone. I'm back here tomorrow. I hope to see you for Ask Farnoosh Saturday. And in the meantime, drive safe wherever you're headed. Hope you're Friday is so money.